0: It's been an interesting few days. Um, I mean, on Wednesday we had the high of watching the three-hour amazing block of wrestling that is two hundred five live NXT and the May Young Classic, which still to me is the best day of the week for WWE hands down. You can't you can't dispute this. Don't at me. I dare you to. But this particular situation that WWE is uh, monitoring. Uh, does give me cause for concern as to the relationship between WWE and the Saudi uh, sports, uh, general sports uh, portion of the kingdom of Saudi Arabia going forward. So, if for those of you who have been living under a rock the past week, let's uh, bring this up. And this is from ProWrestlingSheet.com, uh, posted yesterday, October 11th, WWE monitoring Saudi government's reported involvement of death of journalists. WWE says they're monitoring the situation involving the death of a journalist reportedly at the order of Saudi Arabia's royal court. A rep for WWE released a statement to the media saying, and I quote, we are currently monitoring the situation, end quote. For those unaware, the New York Times reported this week that officials believe Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi And if I pronounce that wrong, I completely apologize, was assassinated in the Saudi consulate in Turkey last week by a team who dismembered his body with a bone saw. Companies with with ties to the Saudi government have since come under heavy scrutiny. Mm. On Wednesday, The New York Times pulled out as a media sponsor from an investor event later this month in Riyadh, where the event uh, Crown Jewel is actually supposed to be held in three weeks. Richard Branson also suspended business talks with the Saudi Arabian government in regards to a reported $1 billion investment in Virgin Space companies. Now, that does give me cause for concern as a WWE fan, because if that's legitimate, it would be hard for us as fans to see Vince McMahon continuing the relationship with uh, with the Saudi with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia going forward. Now, another article I found uh, that's also pretty much linked to the article I just spoke about before, uh, which was posted today, uh, October 12th, U.S. Senators raised concerns over WWE Crown Jewel. So now we're even getting senators involved with this. Uh, Four U.S. Senators are speaking out in a new article about WWE's involvement with the Saudi Arabian government, with one suggesting the president's administration get involved before Crown Jewel. William Staken from the Independent Journal Review spoke with members of Congress on Thursday to get their opinions on the upcoming event in Saudi Arabia. Now, like I said before, this is about Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi uh, being assassinated uh, in the Saudi consulate in Turkey last week. Now, according to CNN, Turkish authorities do have audio and visual evidence which proves this. And if that's truly the case, Vince McMahon should immediately pull everything they were going to do, It that involves Crown Jewel, however many events they were going to do in the coming years going forward. I mean, as a businessman, you gotta know. Sometimes, you gotta just back away from the situation. Now, continuing on with the article, Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut told IRJ, and I quote, I had hoped that they, meaning WWE, would be rethinking their relationship with the kingdom, especially with respect to the events coming up in the next weeks, end quote. Uh, Senator Bob Menendez uh, chimed in and stated, uh, and I quote, private enterprise is private enterprise, different from a governmental entity. He goes on to say uh, that, but because Linda McMahon is part of the president's cabinet and falls into the great area where the administration really should give it some thought and maybe even prevail upon them not doing it, end quote. As previously reported, Crown Jewel is the second event following a lucrative long-term deal between the WWE and the Saudi General Sports Authority. During the first event, Greatest Royal Rumble, a propaganda-like advertisement aired praising the the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Senator Chris Coons from Delaware told IRJ that WWE should be, and I quote, taking a hard look end quote at this partnership. And controversial Senator Lindsey Graham actually said there should be a pause. Uh, as I stated before in the last article, WWE released a statement on Thursday which states that they are monitoring the situation. It's tough to think that Vince McMahon would honestly continue the relationship with the Saudi Arabia you know, General Sports Authority. If this is this legitimately is true, if, if a columnist did actually get dismembered with a bone saw in the Turkish consulate, in the Saudi consulate, I should say in Turkey, it's hard. It's hard for me to believe that Vince would want to continue something like that, continue with that relationship. I mean, you're only three weeks away from this of uh, from this WrestleMania like event you're going to have, and now you had that cloud of a very dark black cloud surrounding the event as a whole. I mean, you already have three of the worst, like, I'm just going to go back with Raw, you have three of the worst rated shows in your history in consecutive weeks. All 2.3s. You're literally losing the fans off of that. If you, if this whole situation involving the assassination of a United States journalist and Vince McMahon does continue and says he will still continue to have the event in Saudi Arabia, a lot of fans are going to be concerned. As well, they should be, myself included, because then you're thinking at that point, you think, the, I believe, was what was a nine-figure deal with, with the Saudi General Sports Authority. To hold your events there, and actually not give it a second thought as to not actually putting this on. I mean, we still. I mean, the the evidence is there. If the Turkish authorities say that they actually have this audio and visual evidence, it should it be released? I believe so. You know, this is this is someone's life we're talking about. This is an assassination in a consulate in another country. That was put out to by the Royal Court of Saudi Arabia itself. That's insane to think something like that. To think the Royal Court would actually put out that hit on a journalist, on an American journalist. That's that's just insanity to me. But now you got to think, you know, does Vince McMahon start having second thoughts? I mean, with Linda, Linda McMahon is in uh, Trump's cabinet. So uh, it like I was reading before, it was, it's a gray area for them. But like I said, if you have the evidence that can prove this actually happened, inform the, inform the United States government, let them know, hand over whatever you have and then go from there. But this now actually hurts the crown jewel event as it will have a little bit of a black cloud surrounding it Um, a lot of people that I've seen you know really aren't too keen on crown jewel you know especially knowing that you have you know Reigns, Strowman and Lesnar for the universal championship that would give you cause for concern of course but then you have this now going on this whole situation surrounding the event I don't know it's one of those situations where you you hope that's not the case. You hope that, you know, that this hit didn't really happen. You are hoping that, you know, I mean, as, as a as a podcaster, in my mind, I have to kind of be, I have to be objective about this. I mean, I'm not trying to be biased or anything, but, but if you had that evidence, please show it. Let them know this actually happened. And I'm going to keep stressing it. Have the evidence, show it. Put it out there. Let let the people know this actually happened. A person was dismembered with a bone saw. You know, that's worse than any CZW event you could go to. It, it's, this this will hurt the event as a whole. Given the fact that it's on a Friday and a good amount of people will probably be working when this, when this actually comes out live. Except if you, you know, you made, you made this your full-time job and you actually are getting paid to, you know, do all this. But if you're not, a good, most of us have to work and then check this out. So you got that already going. A lot of people aren't really too keen on the event, knowing that the Evolution event is coming up too. And um, you got to think, now we just had the whole Super Showdown. We have Evolution in two weeks. And then right in, in that, partic- that Friday, you have Crown Jewel. It's a little overwhelming. You know with, with everything, all the negative that's been going on with WWE in terms of their programming, in terms of the, you know, just raw sucking cock. And SmackDown's been been doing okay. They've been doing all right. You know, they've been having a couple of storylines that is to, uh, will keep fans invested into watching the show. Of course, you have SmackDown 1000 coming up this coming Tuesday. And of course, you know, Wednesday's the best night of the week. But then it, it goes, it harps back to... Everything that's now, that's just been negative this year. I don't, I mean, will this, you know, turn fans away if this is legitimate? Of course it will. Oh, and it's only if Vince McMahon continues on with this. If it is found out that Khashoggi was actually assassinated in the way they claimed. That could lose a lot of business for Vince, and I'm not talking about just you know ratings, but I'm talking about stock prices because I because stocks their stock is the highest it's ever been, even though are we're giving being given shit programming every single week. The ratings are falling, but they get their they got their money, and they're gonna do these shows for Saudi Arabia. There's a lot of I mean, there's so there could be so much negative coming out of this. But we we still have to really find out if this actually happened the way they say it happened. And if it did, it it could mean a lot of negative press for Vince going forward if he decides to push through. Now, getting off of that subject, um, I want to talk quickly about the Super Showdown event that went down last Saturday. I know I, wanted, I didn't really want to do a full-on review of Super Showdown because after the event itself, I honestly thought that it was, it was pretty much a glory. It was literally a glorified house show. It really was. Uh, it was a five-hour event that it took me literally all day to watch. I believe that day I had what? Yeah, I had to go into work in the afternoon and work late. And have to try to talk about this. I mean, the event itself wasn't too bad. There was a lot of glaring negatives on this show, and there was a really good amount of positives. Uh, this wasn't their, I mean, this wasn't the best show they had. I would say if I had to give a literally a final grade on the show itself, I would uh, give it a C minus. Just, I mean, just look at the. Let's look at the negatives real quick. Um, The Iconics match between Asuka and Naomi—that was you could have just had that for a SmackDown match. Honestly, that was really nothing to sneeze at. It was one of those things I really didn't didn't care for. I mean, it was a match. uh, It got you know the Iconics got over and got a win in their hometown, their home country. It happened. Um, the Ronda Rousey, Bella Twins, uh, Riot Squad, six man, six woman tag match. That was meh, you know, cause then we found out the next night on raw that of course, we, if you were smart, you know, this, the Bella Twins turn on Rousey, Ronda Rousey and we now have our main event for evolution. Oh joy. Oh fucking joy. I honestly don't give a shit. That's just how I feel about that. But the one, actually two, main things that I wanted to really speak on was the less than 2 minutes 30 seconds match of Daniel Bryan and The Miz and then come to find out Triple H wanted to make it a no disqualification match and wanted the match to go on longer because of it and he got the go ahead for both so that really hurt Daniel Bryan and The Miz, their match, they they got hosed bad, and for that to be the, the match to go on before the main event, and then getting the result that we got out of that was piss fucking poor, I understand, you know, this is the last time, the, and I'm doing air quotes when I do this, last time ever match between Triple H and The Undertaker, but if it's really the last fucking time, then why the fuck am I seeing you guys in a tag match? At Crown Jewel, nonetheless, in three weeks' time. I understand this is your last match together, but now you have, you know, DX and the Brothers of the Destruction and you know the part timers, you know, are are getting more shine on Raw, and it's still not fucking helping the product over there. Um a lot of fans, I'm I'm assuming, and I saw it on Twitter too, were expecting Daniel Bryan and the Miz to be one of the highlights of the show. They really, I mean, it was a it was to determine the number one contender for the WWE Championship. A lot of fans were expecting a nice little 15, 20-minute match to showcase these guys in a manner that we knew we were going to see. And then it all ended on Miz going for the skull question finale, Daniel Bryan reversing it, getting an inside cradle, and getting the three count. To become the number one, and that's how he became the number one contender for the WWE Championship. It's mind boggling how you have a match like Daniel Bryan and The Miz go two minutes and 25 seconds just to enhance the last time ever between Triple H and The Undertaker. That literally, I'm looking at, I'm looking on Wikipedia, that literally went 27 minutes and 35 seconds. The longest match on the card. And behind that was AJ Styles and Samoa Joe at 2345. And that would, to me personally, was match of the night. But with AJ Styles and Samoa Joe came a little bit of a little bit of pissed offness came into my brain and they had Samoa Joe lose by submission to the calf crusher they had Samoa Joe lose clean in a WWE championship match against AJ Styles with the with what Samoa Joe has done Over the past couple of months. And especially with the feud with AJ. It is a fucking shame. That. A top heel. In Samoa Joe. That has put on some of the best promos. I have literally seen all year. To not be given his just due. To not be given a run with the WWE Championship. Even if it's just until the Royal Rumble. That really that really hurts the product. I mean, I understand AJ Styles is the cover man for WWE 2K19 that already came out. I get it. But that doesn't mean you have to have AJ go over Samoa Joe. Sure, he's a WWE champion, but you have to know when it's time, when it when a, a title reign his time has has run its course. AJ Styles had held, has held the championship since last December when he beat Jinder Mahal and pretty much gave bless, and got blessings from every single WWE fan who hated Jinder Mahal to the, and still does to this day that he's WWE champion. But you have to know that a guy like Samoa Joe, who was the perfect adversary for AJ Styles, should have had the one-up on AJ in a match that pretty much had needed no count out no disqualification, and there had to be a winner, it was Samoa Joe's night. And a lot of people knew it. And I had Samoa Joe winning the WWE Championship. Now what do you do with Samoa Joe going forward? Hmm? What are you going to do? What do you have for Samoa Joe going forward? What, are you going to have him try to take on Nakamura for the United States Championship? Probably not. He lost clean to Styles. Clean. He tapped to the calf crusher after he hurt his knee on that table spot. There's nothing for Samoa Joe to do going forward. The only thing I can honestly think of, and I really, and I actually heard this from JD from NY206 when I was watching his uh, podcast, I believe last week, was to have Joe just not be on TV for a few weeks and then show up at Crown Jewel and attack both AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan. That is the only thing I you can actually think of now. Because there's honestly nothing else for him to do. You have literally fucked Samoa Joe over. Just to keep AJ Styles as champion until, you know, God knows when. It could be a crown jewel. He loses the championship to Daniel Bryan. Who knows? But AJ Styles' title reign needed to end a crown jewel. They could have had the rematch at SmackDown 1000. That would have been fine. If you want to do the rematch at Crown Jewel, you could have done that as well. You could have had that feud and at Crown Jewel if you wanted to go that route. But Samoa Joe needed deserved to be a WWE champion for a couple months at least. He deserved that much. With, with what you had him do and had him exceeded every part of the chapter that was the AJ Styles-Samoa Joe feud, and at the end, not give Samoa Joe the belt hurts your main event scene now. Because who you have left? AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, and The Miz. You can leave Samoa Joe out of it now. So what are you going to do? Are you going to have Miz inter- you know, interfere in the title match? Make it a three-way dance? Make it a triple threat match for the WWE Championship at Tables, Ladders, and Chairs? Are you even going fit- to involve Samoa Joe in the title you know, Hunt going forward, knowing that he beat lost his styles clean, it that it kind of screws up your main event scene on SmackDown now. Um, and that kind of hurt the it kind of hurts a little bit to see Samoa Joe not get his just due. It happened it happened last year with the Great Balls of Fire event that uh, actually that involved uh, Braun Strowman too at No Mercy when you had Samoa Joe going going up against Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship and how great a moment it would have been for Samoa Joe to actually get his just due and have a bit of a title a run with the title. There were the rumors at the time were that Lesnar was going to leave for the UFC anyway after the No Mercy event, so why not give Samoa Joe the championship? He's been fucked over. Badly. I don't know what you can do with Samoa Joe going forward. I really can't. Um another highlight I want to briefly discuss real quick, was the Buddy murphy Cedric Alexander match for the Cruiserweight Championship. It only went 10 minutes, but it felt like it went so much longer than it did. It was really, it was probably the best match of the night. It's right there with AJ and Samoa Joe as best match of the night. And when Buddy Murphy won the Cruiserweight Championship in his home country of Australia, and the crowd in Australia popped big, from Murphy, and one of the loudest pops I heard that day, it show, it not only showcased the Cruiserweight division as a whole, it, it really showcased both Murphy and Alexander. It, 205 Live has some of the best talent in the company that Raw like, seriously fucked up on and not showcasing them in the way that they're being shown now. Ever since I started watching 205 Live again, you know, the storylines have been going there. You know, the build for this particular match was simply fantastic. They had fought before. Cedric retained. in a what was a, one of the best matches I'd seen all year. Possible, you know, honorable mention at the end of 2018, of course. But it, it just showed, you know, that the Cruiserweights do have, you know, something to say in terms of, you know, them getting their, you know, them getting their shot. They're uh they're just due on the on the main card. And the fact that they went um fourth to last on the card really, really spoke to me. It showed it showed that, you know, I, I'm not sure who was running the whole show, or who was running. I don't know if it was Vince or Triple H running it, but if it was Triple H running it, it would have made sense to had Buddy Murphy and Alexander go on fourth to last to showcase the talent, to showcase this division. It made me even more invested in watching Two Hundred Five Live because I now I don't want to miss an episode and seeing Buddy Murphy's first appearance as Cruiserweight Champion on Two Hundred Five Live. You know, and then we saw on Wednesday uh, Cedric Alexander in the main event losing to Tony Nese, in which uh, Tony Nese had prior had said prior to the match saying that his you know his title ring was a fluke. You know, he's not who he was with. He's not who he is without the Cruiserweight Championship. And Tony Nese beat Cedric Alexander. And if you didn't watch 205 Live, sorry to spoil your fun. But that was one of those matches that really highlighted the night for me. And surprisingly, the other one, other match that I was surprised, was surprised by was the six-man tag match between The Shield and the Dogs of War. I actually enjoyed this match. You know, not because, you know... The pot, I mean yeah the Dean Ambrose thing you know that was whole that whole thing was awesome during the match. It was just the fact that it was six guys, even though they've been pretty much the five that are not named Roman Reigns, um, have been doing it for Roman ever since Roman became the Universal Champion at Summerslam. But this really was just a solid match from beginning to end. Went almost twenty minutes, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't think there was that much of a dull moment in the matchup itself. A lot of action, a lot of back and forth, a lot of something that you know I could sink my teeth into. And one of the matches, I I think one of the three, maybe four matches, I would say if I'm looking at the card right now, one of the one of three, and that would be that would have been the AJ Styles Samoa Joe match, the six man tag and Buddy Murphy and Cedric Alexander. Those are the only three matches. Go, now, if I went back and watched it, I would only watch. I wouldn't watch Triple H Undertaker again. I wouldn't. But that was, this was a really good six man tag. Um, it meant nothing in the grand scheme of things, just to help get you know the shield over. And it was not, it was very pleasant. Of course, you know Roman getting the pin that was you know pretty much a mere formality. But it was it was a good match that I thoroughly enjoyed. Twenty minutes of my time were not wasted seeing this, especially having Buddy Mark, the Cruiserweight Championship match and then having that six man tag right after that. That was really good. And then having that Brian Miz really just take the energy out of the building, right before Triple H and Undertaker. Um, hell, even after the three count had happened with that, the crowd was silent. They and then the bell rang, and then the crowd was starting getting into it. It's like, wait, Daniel Bryan won that quickly? It was one of those things where I was confused. But other than that, I mean, I gave the I'm giving the event um, a C minus. Um, I mean, the New Day uh, the bar match was really was good. I mean, it only went. Less than ten minutes, but it was all right. The Charlotte Flair Becky Lynch match that ended the way it did in disqualification was ju- was just oh my god. But I understood why they did it. It was to further the feud to go into Evolution. Now that now we do have for the uh, WWE uh SmackDown Live Women's Championship in the first ever Last Woman Standing match. Let us rephrase that statement. This is actually the for the first time ever the women's main roster will be having a last woman standing match for the SmackDown Live Women's Championship. And for those of us that actually watch NXT, and this is why NXT is so fantastic, they had already done the first ever last woman standing match for the NXT Women's Championship between Asuka and Nikki Cross. And I believe that was last year before Asuka's Road, To Brooklyn to face Ember Moon at TakeOver Brooklyn 3. And that match was fucking awesome. And I would definitely take time out of your day to actually go check that out. Because it was insane from beginning to end. Uh, Two women who really hated hated each other. Wow, words are hard today, Jesus Christ. On a Friday, nonetheless. And my dog's freaking out. So... That match was truly the first time ever we had a last woman standing match. They're just doing it for the first time for the main roster. Just make sure you get it right. Um, but that the Flair Lynch match was okay. I mean, this, this the way they ended it was just shit. That they had that uh, they're trying to portray Becky still as a heel when we know she's not a heel. We boo Charlotte. We boo, we uh, boo the woo, and we cheer Becky even though she does heel like shit. But like I said before. You know, I gave it a C minus grade overall, try harder next time, and now we're going to have another WrestleMania-like event with Crown Jewel coming up in three weeks. This is episode 14 of the Young Lions Perspective, and with that being said, let us begin. What's going on guys? Zach from the Wrestling Issues Podcast here and welcome to episode 14 of the Young Lions Perspective. As always, I'm thankful to have you guys take time out of your day to check out the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Starting off the show, as we usually do towards the weekend, we're talking NXT and what an episode they had on Wednesday. And they started off the show, of course, with the NXT champion himself, Tommaso Ciampa, making his way to the ring. He grabs a mic. And he states that the greatest sports entertainer of all time now has the greatest entrance music of all time. He asks if you want to know the best thing about it. He says that it has brought silence to the sheep. And already I'm just completely invested in what he had to say going forward. He says that in every walk, there is always one who tries to break away from the pack and craves attention. One who needs to be different. That one is the Velveteen Dream. Velveteen Dream. He said, Dream, you have the champ's attention, but you have gone about it the wrong, wrong way. When you start pointing fingers and make accusations, when you stick your nose in the things that are not your business, out comes the Velveteen Dream. To a chorus of just amazing love, the Velveteen Dream. Of course, with Ciampa being the proper heel in this program, Velveteen Dream immediately becomes the biggest babyface in all of NXT. He comes out and says that all of this right here is amusing to him, especially the part about him being the greatest sports entertainer of all time. He did say, he says, goes on to say that since we are on the subject, the dream did not appreciate his threats. The dream can only assume because you think you are a bad, bad man. He believes that the NXT championship deserves a true experience, not a guilt trip from an angry, bald man hiding behind his insecurities. Ciampa goes on to say that he may be an angry little bald man, but he has a shiny, shiny, shiny title belt. He says that he gets it. The Dream wants what the champ has. You want the main event, the spotlight, and the NXT title. He goes on to say that he does not think the Dream believes himself when he blamed the champ for attacking Aleister Black. He only wants attention. Now that everyone's listening, be a man and admit it. He tells Dream... That the title, he actually listened. He actually put the title up to his ear, which was a nice touch, and I love that Champ is using the uh, the N C champion belt as an extension of him, like it's another person, personification, if you will. He puts the title up to his ear, and then he says to Dream that maybe you are just not tough enough, and the crowd literally just went in oh shit mode. Because everyone knows about Patrick Clark being on tough enough, the tough enough show, um, that was a nice little detail. I love that they threw that little dig in there. A lot of people would think, "Oh, yeah, because he, he's on tough enough." But it's the way it, the way it was presented and said. And Champ is the definitely the one who I would want this. That that being said, to Velveteen Dream. Dream says that not only is he tough enough, he is man enough. He says, Dream is more man than Champa can handle. And if he wants to find that out, give Dream a moment with him in the NXT Championship. Now, it seemed like it got to a point where they were about to go at each other. And out of nowhere came Nikki Cross. Which was really interesting. I was kind con- of con- like, confused as to why they would have Nikki Cross come out and interrupt the Dream and Champa, But it had a lot to do with the situation with Aleister Black. She comes down to the ring, stares at Champa and Dream as she bounced in the ring. She backs Dream into a corner and tells him, I know what you've done. Nikki tried to go up to Champa and start listening to the belt like Champa does, but Champa starts to back away, and when he tried to put the mic to his mouth, Nikki Nikki pretty much knocked it out of his hand. She then gets down on the ground, lays next to the mic and says, and Tells Champa she knows what he's done too. Dream then leaves the ring. Mickey kicks the uh, kicks the mic away from Champa uh, when he tries to go for it. She hangs on the ropes and screams to him, "I know, I know, I know!" and leaves the ring and goes up the ramp. This was a powerful segment that did two things, and I said this on my uh, on my Twitter that not only did it start the feud. Between Velveteen Dream and Tommaso Champa for the NXT Championship. And I hope they have that at War Games because that is would be an interesting match to see how Dream goes with the main event scene now as opposed to the mid-card scene with the North American Championship. You have that, and then you have the whole Aleister Black thing. You know, we're so we still don't know who attacked Alistair Black, but Nikki is pretty much the Pun, like, not no pun intended, crown jewel of all of this. She knows who did it, and now she's going up to the dream and saying, I know what you did, and then goes to the chamber and says, I know what you did too. Now that adds a little bit more mystery to it. It's like, what does she know, and when are we gonna find this out? With she's everything to this. And once she pretty much puts it out to the world that Juju in the air, that X was the one who attacked Aleister Black, you know immediately it's going to be insane the moment we see Aleister Black come back on an NXT and go after the person that did it. So I really love this segment. very. Like I said, it, it got two things accomplished. And now we have the Velveteen Dream in the main event title scene, which I don't know if a lot of people... We're expecting to see Velveteen Dream in the title scene, but I am really embracing that and seeing what Dream has done so far in his NXT career. This definitely now I mean, look at the high profile matches that he has been in ever since, you know, the feud with Aleister Black. He's had Aleister Black, he's had Ricochet, he was involved in the six uh, man ladder match for the NXT North American Championship, and what was my fucking favorite matches of the of the year. Um the feud with Ricochet, and now we have him and Champa. Of course, you have Johnny Gargano, that little mini feud there. But it, it it just goes to show that the amount of effort that the Velveteen Dream has put in since the uh, Aleister Black feud, he has shown time and time again that he is definitely one of the top guys in the brand's future going forward. I won't necessarily say he is NXT champion material just yet, but it remains to be seen as we are still, I'd say about, what, five, six weeks away from Survivor Series weekend when uh, War Games 2 is going to go down. But it's nice to see... Excuse me. It's nice to see that, you know, the Velveteen Dream is now getting his shot at becoming NXT champion, which is good. I think this will definitely, you know, up... Dream Stock, and also have Champa be against, against another prop. I mean, a, per, a person who's technically a heel according to Triple H, now being a now being a babyface in this feud. It's not like with Strowman being turned into a heel just to uh, appease the Roman initiative. They're having, I mean, they, you have Champa as a proper heel, as a top heel in the company and the brand now going up against a. Um, a, a, a well-liked man in the velveteen dream it served its purpose twofold i love this segment it was definitely one of my favorite segments all week hands down uh coming back from commercial um we they started the matches off with kona reeves versus keith lee this actually coming off um a segment they two had i believe it was a couple weeks ago when uh lee was uh interviewed quickly by um some reporter in the back he then walked into uh a room where Kona Reeves was in uh, getting his hair situated for an interview he was about to do. And pretty much, you know, them job, you know, going back and forth to each other and pretty much uh Lee challenging Reeves to a match. So this is where we're at now tonight. Now this match did not go long at all. It, it was pretty quick, but um, before they started lock, before he locked up, Reeves tells Lee that he is nothing before locking up and says that he is NXT's finest. Reeves then sends Lee into the corner uh, he hits a jab at the, uh, the break and uh, Pi faces Lee, pretty much continuing his shit talking. He, uh, Lee then sends Reeves into the corner and hits him with a few punches and a double hand chop across the chest. Lee then goes for, hits a drop kick and tosses Reeves over the top rope onto the floor. Rings uh, pulls the ring screw over Lee's head to give him a, a few punches in. Reeves follows that up with a boot to the head and some punches. Reeves uh, goes to the top burn, turnbuckle. It's an elbow drop. It seemed like Reeves was definitely in control from the beginning of this match, Reeves then applies a rear chin lock. Um, the end of the match, had seen uh, Reeves a, hitting a punch to Lee in the head. Uh, starts hitting him with more punches. Reeves uh, goes with a kick and a form to the back. But Lee, out of nowhere, hits a running shoulder tackle, which I believe more called the pounce. Bringing it back to the alpha male Bonnie Brown uh, old school TNA days when they were having Wednesday night pay-per-views. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. I'm telling you, It's legit hits the pounds, and then hits his finishing move that he now calls the Supernova, gets the three count, and the victory. It was a nice little short match, uh, just to showcase, um, I guess to showcase more so uh, Lee than Reeves. I believe Reeves is the guy they're going to be looking to going forward, especially with the influx of dudes that they now have on the roster. Uh, With Kona Reeves, he's one of those guys where I do like him. I like the gimmick that he has. Um, I know he's right now, in my mind, lower mid-card, um he's definitely uh, just came onto the scene so now you're having him you know go up against the you know the newer guys you know the new guys that came in I think he's going to be an enhancement talent for a little while but I'm definitely saying he's going to be one of those guys that I still think in my mind you have to look out for going into next year I think he's going to have a great 2019 for himself I'm not saying he's going to get into the title contention anytime soon that's not what I'm trying to go for but I see Kona Reeves definitely getting in contention by the end of next year and really starting to make a name for himself toward heading towards NXT North American championship titles, contender status. That's where I see Cohen Reeves going forward with Keith Lee. I think they're definitely taking their time with him. They haven't really put him in his uh, first legitimate feud as of yet, which is what they usually do with a lot of the new guys coming in. EC3 just had his, I guess, first feud with Lars Sullivan. Um, I don't know if it's still going to be going on going into next week, but it was one of those where, you know, we had some matches, had Velveteen Dream, lost that match, had a little uh, little thing with uh, Laura Sullivan, and now we starting to uh, starting to go up the ladder into mid car status and starting to maybe to go to, go into title contention, um, towards the end of the year, especially in twenty nineteen, I think that's where the same way they're going to go with Lee as most of uh they do with most of the new guys that they come in, especially with Matthew Riddle coming in, hopefully soon. I mean, I already know he's already doing the live stuff, so I know they'll do the same thing with him. They're trying to keep Lee protected, and then hopefully soon, I'd say probably towards Royal Rumble time, he may get his first feud. Um, I'm not saying he'll be on the car, but I think he'll get into this first legitimate feud uh, after Survivor Series weekend, heading, into, heading in towards um, TakeOver Phoenix, and... World Rumble Weekend and doing something there. So that's why I see both of these guys going forward. They had a nice little video package for uh, Sheena Bezler ahead of her uh, NXT Women's Championship match against Kyrie Sein. And um, I really love this video package. This was fucking awesome. Uh, the NXT team just know how to do it right with almost every aspect of the shows. Sometimes they have a little uh, low week, but I mean, other than that, they kick ass every single time. Uh, she mentioned that she became NXT champion faster than anyone else. True point. Um, In Brooklyn, she admitted that she got too comfortable and celebrated before the match was over. She said it was her mistake that cost her the title, not Kyrie winning. She knows that she will be able to beat Kyrie. People think that Kyrie won the match. It's in the record books. They can't change that. Not Shayna making a mistake. And that angered Shayna even more. I love that video package. You know. Her admitting her faults and then saying that it will not happen again at Evolution in two weeks time, which is f- fucking fantastic. Uh, right after that, Kyrie Sane was actually asked about performing at Evolution. She said she was so excited to be at Evolution, and then she's asked about Shannon's training, and Kyrie actually came out with something that I really like. I like her, you know, ferociousness, you know, little ferocious girl in the ring, and she said Shanna can train with who however she wants. But she will beat Shayna again. And I, I'm really going to enjoy... I love this. I've loved the Kyrie and shayna Baszler feud uh, ever since their match at the May Young Classic Finals last year. Um, this feud has been one of the best we've seen with the women this year. And it's not saying much considering that WWE's main roster really hasn't produced anything of a rivalry. That actually has been uh, two thumbs way, way up for your boy. But this feud... Has been really solid, especially uh, since the, I believe it was June or July, when they had their second match, and Shayna beat Kyrie. That was when it really ramped up, and then we went into Brooklyn, Kyrie beat Shayna for the title, and now they're going to do it one last time at Evolution. They're doing it right. They're not really doing what uh, they're doing with Charlotte and Becky having having a match at Super Showdown. Then having a rematch immediately after uh, on SmackDown for the Smackdown Women's Championship, in which they had, you know, if Becky got disqualified, she would lose the title. That match ended in a double countdown and then uh, ended up with um Charlotte spearing Becky through the LED boards at the top of the ramp, call at and thus now we have the last woman standing match for evolution for the SmackDown Live Women's Championship. I like the Kyrie and Shana feud a lot more than I'm as just as much, if not more, than the Becky Charlotte feud. Becky Charlotte feud is fucking great. Don't get me wrong, but I I love the Kyrie Shayna Baszler. It's very much. It's been a very much slow burn type of feud, and it's really really built up over time. And now it will culminate at Evolution. I'm expecting a long match. I'm expecting at least fifteen minutes out of these girls, and I think they're gonna blow the fucking roof off in Long Island, on the twenty eighth. Uh, we come back from commercial um william is still being asked about the investigation uh william says he's not going to talk about the investigation and he has some answers out of nowhere we see cassius ono my former boy uh to have done the attack on Alister black i i i i have already declared it uh he didn't do it but there's just the, always that little twinge in the back of my mind thinking maybe he did it i don't know um but he stops uh, william outside his office he uh, Williams, uh, uh, Regal says that cash has already been cleared of the allegations. Of course, um, a few weeks back by Kyrie. Singh Ono says that he knows Regal does not think he is a threat. He asked Regal, where is Regal's shiny new toy that he had asked him about uh, about, uh, I believe a couple, a few weeks ago. He says that Regal is blind about what Ono is about. He does. He don't know who attacked Alistair. Your bromance isn't what you thought it was. And maybe he did it. He's say you're basically saying that maybe Ono did, Ono did do this, and I'm i th- I like that what they're doing with Ono there. I mean, he's trying to show Regal like, yeah, I'm still a threat here in NXT, and as long as I'm here, I want to face your new shiny toy. And I'm thinking that new shiny toy is going to be one Matthew Riddle. If you remember that on uh, the episode where Regal had talked to Ono, he says, "I want to like whoever your new shiny toy is. I want to see him in there, bro." A little bit of foreshadowing there. I'm hoping that it is a Ono-Riddle feud just to show, uh, just to prove, so Ono can prove to Regal that he still is a threat. But what I liked about, that, about this was that Nikki Cross then came out of nowhere and was just staring at Ono and tells Cass- Cassius she knows what he did. So now we have three. We have she knows what Velveteen Dream did. She knows what Ciampa did. And now we, she knows what Cassius did. What does she know? We don't know. Remains to be seen. But um, they, they did add a little a quick video package before the break. uh, Talking about the Undisputed Era defending the tag titles against the War Raiders ne- uh, next Wednesday on NXT. And that's going to be fucking great for that. They also announced that Nikki Cross and Bianca Belair... Will be facing off again next week in a, what they're calling a double main event episode of NXT, and I mean the past few weeks, man, we have just been completely blessed with this, and you know the past like last week, of course, you know this uh, this past episode we're getting you know the whole the furthering of the Alistair Black thing, Champa Dream now starting to become a feud, and now we get two matches like this that I'm thoroughly now invested in, especially with Bianca Belair being undefeated and trying to maintain her undefeated streak. Uh, the match that they had together um, in their first encounter was fucking awesome. Um, the, the two really went off, and of course they went into a double countout victory, a uh, double countout, not a victory, Jesus Christ, and a double countout. And after that, they just had a, a nice little quick brawl to the outside, pretty much, you know, Showing that they they want to beat the living hell out of each other. And I'm excited to see what chapter two of this, I guess, feud is going to be. But it was main event time. Ricochet, Adam Cole, and Pete Dunne for the NXT North American Championship. Ooh, my. Mm. Before I even go into this match, because... There's a lot of notes here from uh, PWmania.com. This was definitely, and I think I said this on Twitter, I'm not exactly sure, but if I did, it went along the lines of, this has the potential to be at least an honorable mention and have a chance to be a match of the year candidate. They did not disappoint in this match at all. Did not disappoint. They killed it once the match was announced. They were going to kill it. I think it was like, what? uh, Was it Two weeks ago, they announced this. And for two weeks, I was going apeshit. I was just jumping around. I'm trying to focus at work. Wasn't able to because all I was really thinking about was like, Ricochet and Adam Adam Cole and Pete Dunn are going to go apeshit on each other. It's going to be one of those crazy three-way matches. Um, It's going to be crazy. And I thought, in all scenarios, like, what if Adam Cole won? What if Pete Dunn won? What if Ricochet won? And... Here we go. Match starts. Dunn and Ricochet stop short as Cole backed away. Dunn jo- uh, Dunn actually joined Ricochet in going after Cole. Dunn pushes Ricochet out of the corner to go after Cole. Ricochet does the same. Cole pushes Ricochet into Dunn and sends Dunn on the floor. Cole gets an Irish whip, but Ricochet floats over and hits a handstand, head scissors with a drop kick. He sees a dive to the floor when Dunn gets on the apron, but Ricochet does have, his, of course, his uh, signature superhero landing, and the crowd just went crazy. Cole sent then sent Ricochet to the floor. Already from the gate. You're already getting your fast-paced action with these guys. These guys can go. We've seen it plenty of times, time and time again. See, moving in later on the match, we then had uh Dunn hitting a forearm to knock Ricochet down. Dunn then it hits a gets uh, a hammer lock and uh works on Ricochet's other hand, that joint manipulation that he does so effing well. And I enjoy what Pete Dunn does in the ring. And I can't wait for him to see what he does in U- NXT UK starting on uh, the 17th. He then makes it a double hammer lock and stomped on the hands and back of Ricochet. Uh, hits a kick to the back of the head. Uh, Ricochet avoided a, clo- a short arm clothesline, taking Dunne to the mat. Uh, hits- and then he ends up with a hammer lock and a cloverleaf. But Cole kicks Ricochet and Dunne to break the hold. Cole takes time to pose a little bit in the ring while Ricochet and Dunn on their mat. Ricochet is then sent to the floor and Cole then attacks Dunn. I am at at this point uh, already loving this match. Crowd's really into it. And at this point, I think they started to hit their climax and started to make their way down. Uh, Right after uh, Cole started punching Dunn, uh, Cole gets a a neck breaker for a near fall, starts a series of elbow drops. Then Ricochet comes back, hits some strikes in the apron, Cole then stops his attempt for a springboard move and falls back to the floor. Dunn then goes after Cole with some kicks. Um, Cole then hits a bicycle kick for a near fall. Dunn gets back up and starts punching and slapping Cole, and then Cole blocks a kick. Uh, but Dunn hits the enziguri to Cole. Ricochet comes back up, hits a springboard head scissors on Dunn. Ricochet with a crossbody into the corner and hits an enziguri. Ricochet then hits a moonsault onto Dunn on the floor, followed by a springboard European uppercut to Cole, and that only got a two count. It was insane to see Ricochet defending the title the way that he did with the moves that all three of these guys had to hit a moonsault on Dunn and then come back right after that, hit that springboard European uppercut to Cole for for just a, a two count. It was absolutely insane. Ricochet then gets Cole on his shoulders. Dunn slaps Ricochet. Uh, he then hits a forearm to Cole. Ricochet hits a uh, kick to Dunn. Uh, Dunn flips out of that, uh, out of the corner, and hits an enziguri on Ricochet. Dunn kicks Cole, uh, applies a single a double single leg crab to Cole and Ricochet. And that image of um, Dunn hit, having that double single leg grab was fantastic. I love that. Just the imagery of uh seeing Cole and Ricochet both writhing in pain um, and just showing and letting Dunn just show off his skills. That was fucking, that spot was fucking fantastic. He then focuses on Cole, Ricochet, but then it, but Ricochet hits an octopus lock on, uh, octopus, hold on, Dunn. Cole then hits a lung blower to Ricochet and only got a near fall. Mm, excuse me. Uh, we then see the three men start exchanging forearms, Dunn punching Ricochet. Uh, Cole has an enziguri on Dunn, followed by a flying knee to Ricochet, not only got a near fall. Ricochet then blocks a suplex. Uh, Ricochet with a forearm to Cole. He goes into the turnbuckles. Cole teases, uh, kicking Ricochet's uh, legs, uh, but Dunn hits a kick to Cole. After a series of kicks back and forth, Ricochet hits a shooting. They went for the shooting star press spot again. And that's why my, my words are getting mumbled at the moment, because they, if you remember the spot they had Between Adam Cole and Ricochet at Brooklyn. Brooklyn Brooklyn 4. Ricochet went off the second ropes. Springboard uh, shooting star. uh, Going for the springboard moonsault. I'm sorry. And Adam Cole kicking his throat like it was the last thing he would ever do. We then get this again. Ricochet goes off springboard moonsault. Cole and Dunn hit super kicks to Ricochet. And all three men fall to the floor floor that was a dope spot and I thought the uh Adam Cole ricochet spot was one of the best spots I had seen all year and then seeing the double super kick to ricochet that was crazy that was absolutely crazy uh we get the reset and uh Cole Dunn start exchanging punches uh Dunn starts adding in some head bunts he then stomps on Cole's hands and hits a roundhouse kick Cole then goes to the apron, Dunn follows him, Cole hits a DDT on the apron, he sees Dunn against the ring steps and sets up for a super kick, but Dunn gets out of the way at the last second and Cole kicked the steps, He put Cole, Dunn then puts uh, Cole's hand into the ring steps, stomps on the hand uh, as is customary for him sometimes during his matches, Ricochet then goes for a tiger faint kick to Dunn, Cole hits a super kick to Ricochet and Dunn hits the moonsault onto Cole. He hits the Xplex on Ricochet, but Cole at the last second broke up the cover. This at this point, this was going absolutely insane. I'm loving this match. I was I was really invested. I literally threw my phone down and said, "Fuck it, I'm not saying shit until the end of this match." Um, Dunn then goes up to the top, Cole stops him. He then climbs the turnbuckles as well. Uh, they start fighting the turnbuckles for position. Ricochet stops both of them. All three men are on the turnbuckles. And then Ricochet hits a double Frankenstein.er comes and then comes after that with a reverse runner. I believe that was to uh the Dunn and hits a leaping flatliner on Cole. If I'm not mistaken, for that he got a near fall. Ricochet pulls Dunn into the corner. He's going for the six thirty. Cole hits the uh the ropes, crotches Ricochet. Uh, Dunn starts pulling at the fingers, pulling at the fingers, but Cole gets the roll up, um for a near fall. Dunn hits the uh, hits the bitter end. But Ricochet then comes out of nowhere with a shooting star press, lands between Dunn's legs, and Dunn applies the triangle choke. It was fan. That was a nice, fantastic spot. Ricochet then goes for a one-on, uh, go for a one-on power bomb. But Ricochet pulls at his fingers to escape that. by being power bomb. That was a nice little section of the uh, the match there. Cole hits a super kick to Dunn, hits the last shot to Ricochet, and I thought that was actually it. Uh, but that only got a two count. Uh, Cole hits a shoulder breaker on Dunn. Dunn kicks out again. Uh, Cole then ran to a clothesline from Dunn. Dunn hits the bitter end on Cole. But out of nowhere, Ricochet hits a springboard 450 splash, breaks up the cover of Dunn trying to pin Cole, and Ricochet gets the three count and the victory, thus retaining the North American championship. That was probably... One of the most unique ways I have seen an ending of, of a match. The fact that you had um, Cole come out of nowhere, hits a super kick to Dunn, hits the last shot to Ricochet, I thought that was literally over right there. I thought Cole was going to get back his championship and only got a two count out of that, uh, Hit and then just um, ding-done it. Pretty much uh, just he had the he had the pin on uh, he had the pin on Cole but he was just susceptible to that springboard 450 he had to break the hold of Cole and Ricochet getting that victory that was this was the one of the best NXT TV matches I had seen all year and I believe I said that when it was uh Champa Dosovic it was probably one of those mat it was a, that was one of their best matches there were a lot of there have been a lot of good NXT TV matches this year and this adds to the list and in my mind don't be surprised if it's on my honorable if it's, if, this will probably be at least on my honorable mentions list. I'm not even gonna lie about that. This is on my honorable mentions list for sure and possibly a candidate for match of, of my top 10 matches of the year for 2018. who knows? all in all NXT was another great show this week um they put they put it from beginning to end it was solid. I mean you had the whole Champa dream segment Chris then come across Jesus Chris. Who knows? Cross coming out and saying that I know what both of you done, the whole Cassius regal segment, and then Cross coming up to him saying that I know what you did too, adds a little bit of adds a little bit more to the story. And I hope they continue to further along the story next week when we get the Undisputed Era uh, taking on the War Raiders for the NXT Tag Team Championships, and we also get Nikki Cross and Bianca Belair in uh, in part two of their feud. This is why I keep talking about. Put in one hour, they gave you about four or five segments that pretty much have that pretty much have you invested in next week's show. It's what they do, it's what they put out, it's the quality of their content that keeps fans invested week after week. Because this is the future of the main roster, unfortunately but they put on put on some of the best stuff i have seen the past couple of years and this is just another just another you know layer of the beautiful cake that is NXT that we all get to consume once we start hitting takeover weekends and stuff i this is another like i said great episode further on a lot of storylines going forward and next week is just going to be just as good if not better Time to talk about the Mae Young Classic, episode 6, which is the uh, last four matches of the second round. Winners of these matches getting into the corner finals matchup and what I like to call, of course, the Elite Eight of the tournament. Uh, We're starting off the the night with Zioxiz taking on Ayo Shirai. Of course, Ayo Shirai with her performance uh, in, I believe, was the last episode of the second round. No, the first round, I should say, that uh, she beat Saya Brookside. Of course, Zioxiz. Defeating Ariel Monroe to make it to this point. Um, immediately from the beginning, bell, the crowd was all for Io Shirai. Um, Zeuxy saying before the matchup, this was actually a dream match of hers to face Io. So it was really it was really nice touch to see uh Zyukzi not only facing her dream opponent, but to possibly beat her and get into the quarterfinals. Uh, like I said before, immediately, uh ref card for the belt, and the crowd started uh, chanting, let's go Io!" She was she was definitely the one being bagged in this matchup. They lock up. Zooksies, uh takes uh, Shirai into the ropes. Ref breaks them up, and they lock up again. Uh, Shirai then gains the advantage and bounces off the ropes to attack Zooksies, who ducks out of the way. Um, she did it twice more and attacked Zooksies, but she ducked every single time. Finally, uh, Shirai landing a dropkick, sending Zooksies flying through the ropes and onto the floor. Uh Io takes her back into the ring, goes for a springboard move on the apron, was met to the forearms to the face that knocked her out into a sitting position on the apron. Uh, she followed that up with uh, a run off the ropes and a basement drop kick that sent Shirai falling off the apron and onto the mat, uh, where it looked like she had a little bit of a right shoulder injury at that point. Um, not going not to say anything weird about the fact that she landed on her right shoulder but was clutching her left. Bees what it bees. Uh, at this point, the referee was at the, at the five count, uh, Shirai successfully gets back into the ring. Zeuxi starts going after the engine arm, locking into the mission. Uh, Shirai tried to uh, get out of it, but Zeuxi just, it caused Zeuxi to actually lock it in even harder. She finally escapes, um, tries to catch her breath by uh, sitting in the corner, and it was met by a running double knee. Uh, she only gets a two-count out of the cover. Uh, then Shirai fires back and trips up Zooksies, knocking her down. Uh, she slid to the apron, jumped over the ropes to deliver a knee on the back of Zook Uh At this point, Zooksies was uh, in the corner uh, trying to catch her breath, and then she applies, uh, Shirai applies a double-foot choke, uh, breaking that before the ref uh, completed the five-count. And uh, Shirai then runs into the—actually, uh, what was it? Yeah, she does, has that. Uh, does a handstand from the top rope, falling into a double knee, runs into the opposite corner, and charges for a running Meteora. Uh, Zooksies gets out of the ring, knowing that that was the beginning of the end for her, which follows that up with a the moonsault that she has for the finisher. Uh, Shirai nailed a suicide dive that kind of looked a little suspect. Um, I was kind of concerned at that point, but it was a nice little uh, suicide dive that wasn't uh, Brie Bella-style which we greatly appreciate. Uh, She gets her Zeuxis back into the ring and only gets a two count out of that. Uh, She then locks in the cross face that she had last time out in her match against Zaya Brookside, Um, but that was actually countered into a Michinoku driver. That was actually a nice spot there. Zyuxis then goes up for a moonsault. She was trying to finish off uh, Shirai, but at the last second, Shirai rolls out of the way, and she lands hard on the mat. Shirai then drops kick, drop kicks her. She goes up for the moonsault, but got hung up on the top ropes when uh, she took, when Zutis took her knees out. She was looking for her finisher, the Spanish fly off the top, but Shirai counters it, nails a Hurricane Rana, a double knee to the back of her neck, goes back up and lands the Aisai moonsault to get the three count and the victory to move on to the quarterfinals. This was a good little opener um, for the ladies. I really enjoyed what they were trying to do. Um, I like the little heel tactics of zuties Zoot um and part of the match of course going after the injured arm after Shirai hurt it on the floor. It was a nice little uh, it was a nice little uh, little match to open up the show and I greatly appreciate that of course, which then led into Diana Perrazzo versus Zaya Lee um, Of course the virtuosa coming off her victory and her in, uh, in the last in the last round Zaya Lee having her little um, kung Fu fighting match with Karen Q, which I greatly appreciated. With those two, I definitely enjoyed that. I enjoyed that match a lot. It was fucking fantastic. Um, before the bell started, of course, they two shake hands. Uh, they start with the lockup, exchanging holes back and forth. Uh, Lee got uh, locked in a head scissors. Uh, Perazzo using a headstand to escape from that. Uh, I like the way she can escape with that head headstand. And she did say, uh, I believe it was Beth Phoenix who said she she actually was a former gymnast. So the headstand actually definitely helped was. Really nice there to see just uh, the balance and the strength of her just uh, holding that up in the air before she got out of it. Um, Perazzo then took Lee down with a, a Russian leg sweep for a cover. Only got a two count out of that. She tried locking in the Fujiwara armbar, but Lee kept fighting out of it uh, over and over again. Uh, Lee then starts landing a series of kicks to uh, the big section of Peraza that knocked her down. Hits a leg drop and then an elbow drop after that for a two count. I love the fact that they were trying to show the aggressiveness of Ziya Lee. Um, especially now that she's a year removed from the last year's Mae Young Classic, she definitely learned a lot more. Has a lot more moves in her arsenal, and I like that they're showing her, you know, a little bit more of a ferociousness coming from Ziya Lee. I greatly appreciate that. Um, Peraza then recovers, sent Lee into the corner. She charges, but Lee kicks her in the face. Then follows that up with a tri- uh, kick from the top rope. That only got a two count. Peraza then takes Lee down with an arm drag, does a backflip, and hits Lee in the face with a drop kick. Uh, a la the Young Bucks, and I'm sure they probably appreciate that every time they see that, but that only got a two count. Um, Towards the end, we see um, Purrazzo going for the Fujiwara armbar. That was reversed by Lee. Uh, She regains the upper hand, hits a series of strikes that knock Lee down, only gets a two count out of that. Uh, They exchange strikes back and forth. Perazzo hits another side rushing leg sweep, goes for the uh, Fujiwara armbar again. Uh, Lee reversed that into a cover. Uh, she had to break the hold to get uh, to kick out of that Perazzo gets up on her feet kicks Lee gave her a single arm DDC that only got a two count she then locks in an arm bar submission on Lee uh, Lee makes her way to her feet and breaks the hold she lands a drop kick um, and in the end they traded a series of forearms Lee ran uh, landed a the house kick on Perazzo goes for a two get a cover goes in gets a two count of that. Um, but in the end Lee gets a running kick to Parazo in the corner but that was actually countered by the Fujiwara armbar Lee tried Lee tried to escape um I believe uh Purrazzo then grabbed the uh other arm and locked that in causing Lee to tap out and Parazo gets the victory and she moves on to the quarterfinals where I believe it's going to be Diana Parazo and Ayo Shirai to advance to the semifinals. Holy shit. Um, before I even talk about Ayo Shirai and uh, Diana Peraza, I just want to say, like I said, Ziya Lee has definitely grown since last year's Mae Young Classic when she was just a, a rookie um, coming out of uh, China and uh, trying to make her name for herself. She's definitely grown from what I've seen uh, as compared to last year, which is very good. Uh, she's a great follow on Instagram. She does do a lot of her training on there. Um, so you do see that also. Of course, her and Kyrie Sane doing the tour, that's always a plus. But to see Deanna Perrazzo, that was supposed to be an alternate last year, make it onto the tournament and have the showing that she's had so far is very impressive. And now knowing that she's now a signing at the, uh, for NXT, and I can't, it just adds another piece to the cake that is the NXT women's division. Don't know why I've been thinking about cake the last couple episodes, but it's just been it's just a good metaphor for that case. So great uh, for Win for I Zaylee put on a damn good performance. It was nice to see those two go at it. It was very fun to watch. Um, I can't wait to see Shirai versus Perrazzo That I think that match. Now we're going into the quarterfinals, semi, uh, the final four, and the May Young Classic finals. I think are going to we're going to get a lot more out of the eight ladies that are going to be left in the tournament. And that just makes it that much better to enjoy, which I can greatly appreciate. Third match of the night, we saw Tegan Knox versus Nicole Matthews. Um, this was actually the quickest match of the night, which kind of uh confused me a little bit, especially knowing that um, as we get for, a little further into the tournament, you know, I think the first round was fifteen minutes. Um, the second round I think was 20 and I'm not sure how they're going to be doing going forward, but this was definitely the shortest match of the night. Um, starting out, of course, you know, the announcers playing up the ACL injury. she you had, uh, that Knox had last year. Uh, she adjusted her knee brace before, um, Matthews started to, uh, attack her with a clubbing blow to the back crowd booze out of nowhere. And of course, Nicole Matthews is being the, uh, the, eye, the uh, the female asshole that she is, which I appreciate um, gets those booze very well. And is a proper heel in this particular match. Um, Knox went for a suicide dive at uh, Matthews on ringside, but was met with a forearm to her face that sent her to the mat. Matthews gets gets her back in the ring, wraps her up in between the second and top rope to deliver kicks to the midsection. Uh, and that only got a two count. Uh, she kept the offense up. She, the chops in both corner and two corners, Follows that up with a drop kick that had Knox leaning on the turnbuckles. Goes for another cover, but Knox kicks out. Matthews then kicked Knox in the spine twice, but Knox... And I'm, I'm seeing what they're saying on this. This is from uh, PWTorch.com, by the way. Uh, but Knox hulked up, stood up, and delivered a a snapmare, before, and follows up with some spine kicks of her own. Uh, Matthews recovers, uh, delivered a, re- a receipt snapmare, and follows that up with a spine kick. Now, during the match, I was really... um. I'm sure you noticed it too. And I was talking to um, who got at who got next from the who got next podcast. Um, definitely check them out. Um, sh- shameless plug. Shout out to them. He and I go back and uh, go. They go back and we go back and forth with each other on Twitter. And it, they are a great follow um, because they talk a, a shit ton about NXT and the people that are coming up, the people who are there right now. Great follow. I would definitely check them out. But he was actually said he was actually at the show um, and they were talking about, you know, the max being so short. And I saw throughout the match that Nicole at um, Nicole Matthews was adjusting her outfit a little bit too much. Um, maybe she was a little bit uh, top heavy on the top with the top tars. Um It got to a point where I thought one of them was gonna pop out. It really did. I think it was that. I think right after the spine kicks was when I started noticing that. I'm not exactly sure if that was the reason. Um, if you want to check out uh, the conversation he and I had, if you can find it on Twitter, uh, just um, Find him on Twitter. And uh, he and I had a little conversation going back and forth talking about that. Um, he's saying that might have possibly been the case as to why the match got cut short. Um, now, in the end, Matt, uh, Matthews was delivering elbows to the chest of Knox. Uh, puts her in a submission hold with her knee uh, in the spine of Knox. She Knox fought out, uh, but catches a clothesline from Matthews. She hits a Northern Light suplex and bridged it, but that only got a two count. Knox then regains the upper hand. Goes for a drop kick, but that was caught by Matthews. Matthews looked over, looked for a was going for the lion tamer, but Knox was able to roll her up for a schoolboy for two. Matthews recovered, uh, was in the corner, but was met with a running senton by Knox. That lovely, lovely, lovely cannonball there. Knox's knee gave out as she attempted to stand. In the process, uh, she made her way to her feet. Uh, Matthews, I believe, was on her knee, uh, but connects with the shiniest wizard, gets the three count and the victory. Um, Tegan Knox advancing to the quarterfinals. And I was very, very shocked by the way that Knox had won the match. It was it came out of nowhere. I was thinking that they were going to give Matthews the victory here. Um, she was definitely the a dope heel. I liked the way her style was. She was at stiff offense, all that stuff. It was very fast paced. But I did not. I think it was I mean. I was shocked by the way it just immediately ended and I'm definitely thinking that it might've been the, uh, the wardrobe issue with uh, she kept I think she did it last match too. Uh, She was adjusting her pants a little bit. Um, So then she wore her second outfit that she had, and then it was just adjusting the top, her top a little too much. So I think they may have cut it short by that, but nonetheless, this was a decent match. Um, The quickest match of the night and, Tegan Knox goes on to the quarterfinals. We then ended the night with a matchup a lot of people were expecting to see kick ass. Um, and that would be Mia Yim versus Caitlin to round out the second round matchups. I love both ladies. I love the fact that Caitlin did get a chance to be a part of this tournament. And, you know, if it was if maybe she I know she was starting her return to getting back into the wrestling scene again. Um, not she, she, she did a couple indie shows and then was asked to join the tournament. So it was really nice to see her there. But Mia Yim has been one hell of a star ever since she got into the tournament. And then following the news that she would be uh, signing with, with the WWE and becoming part of the NXT brand, becoming part of the PC, just made it even better for me to see this matchup. And surprisingly, this was the first time that these two actually faced each other. So it was a definitely a contrasting difference of styles. It was definitely fantastic. What I did notice from the early outset, before the match even started, that Mia Yim's hand was taped due to the uh, the chop that she tried to land on Allison Kay in their uh, in their matchup last time. Uh, the, Yim was in the tournament was in the tournament match. Uh, she had that hand heavily taped, so you knew. That the hand would definitely come into play, especially for some of her moves, especially her Soul Food finisher, which is a foot to face finisher. There, pretty much they eat defeat. Um, from the outset, um, they both went for their handshake. Uh, Caitlyn extends her hand. Mia Yim slowly grasps her. Hand. Uh, I kind of like shook her hand, but then snatched it away, still feeling the remnants of uh, the shot from uh, her last matchup. Um, they started. They're tied up in the center of the ring. Yim backed up Caitlyn to the ropes. Dueling chance for both competitors, which was really nice to see. Um, both of them getting some love from the crowd. Uh, Yim actually chops Caitlyn, uh, but she used a hand that was heavily taped. So that added a little nice detail there. Uh, Caitlyn uh, was, uh, runs the rope, delivers a low drop kick to the leg of Yim. Uh, lands a sliding clothesline, followed by two leg drops, and only got a two count. Uh, Yim started recovering in a corner and was met by a cannonball from by Caitlyn, that was literally, excuse me, out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting that from Caitlin at all. So we got a double cannonball night, which is always a, a fun time. Caitlin then locks in a body scissors, rolls over, uh, rolls Yim over for a two count there. Uh, Yim kicks out. Uh, she had the body scissors still hung in tight. Uh, she tried two more times to make that pin attempt, and she kicked, and Yim kicks out both times. Yim finally gets out of the hold, and uh, Caitlin sweeps the legs out from under Yim, uh, who rolls out of the ring immediately. Caitlin attempted for a baseball slide but was tripped up by Kim, uh, Yim, I should say. Uh, Yim gets back in the ring, repeatedly kicks the hamstring of Caitlin before delivering a DDT to the leg. That only got a two count. She then locks in a uh, modified figure four leg lock on Caitlin, starting to uh, weaken the legs a little bit. Um, she eventually breaks the hold, mounts Caitlin to uh, deliver the series of strikes to her face. Uh, Falls it up with a, with a giant slap to the face. And she asks Caitlyn if she was all done to which Caitlyn yelled back at her. No. Yim goes for another punch to the face. Caitlyn moves out of the way. And then she was using that injured right hand to the mat. And the reaction that Yim had was p- perfect. Was fantastically perfect. Caitlyn then come, uh, returns the favor, starts hitting mounting strikes to Yim. But that was kind of sloppy on her part. They were kind of pretty bad. Um. So that was a little bit of a uh there. But uh, she grabs the injured hand of Yim, bends her wrist backwards, doing some Pete Dunne shit that I greatly appreciate. Uh, Yim, of course, screaming out in pain. Uh, she, uh, when Caitlin realized she wasn't going to tap, she slams Yim's hand to the mat and breaks the hold. She picks her up, looking for a followaway slam, but couldn't quite get her up. Yim falls on top of her, and that got a two count uh yim kicked her in the face and then went for another cover for a two count uh, she goes off the ropes and uh attacking caitlin caitlin bounces up it's a deli- a power delivers a powerful shoulder tackle to yim uh they were on the mat struggling to get to their feet but then caitlin gets up start nailing a series of strikes and that ended with an elbow to the face she scoop slams yin twice but yim got to her feet very very quickly she started pleading with K- uh, Caitlyn, stop, please don't hit me. Uh, catching Caitlyn off guard, Yim goes to attack Caitlyn, who countered by picking her up and hit a third scoop slam. But uh, it was a nice, li- but actually a well executed sidewalk slam, and that got a two count out of that. Uh, the end had seen Yim crawling to the corner. Uh, she gets up to her feet. Caitlyn charges. Yim moves out of the way. That sent her in a turnbuckle. She counters that uh, with her soul food finisher, and but that only got a two count which was insane. Uh she goes for a German suplex, Caitlyn blocked that, bounced off the ropes, uh hits the spear, makes the cover, but she kicks out at two off of that, which to the which to the crowd was shocked and Caitlyn's face was priceless. It was great to see that just reaction It's like oh that wasn't it. It didn't get done. Man. Um, in the, but in the end, she goes for the hand of Yim again. Yim blocks it, counters it, and then counters into the knee bar. Caitlin tried to desperately reach the bottom rope, but she couldn't reach it in time, and she immediately, and then she ultimately, in the end, taps out. And Yim advances to the quarterfinals. Um, this was probably this was um a very good match between the two. There were some spots in the match where I was kind of uh, a little bit clunky, but other than that, I, this was definitely. A great match overall. Um, in the end, it, uh, of course, both ladies looking strong. Of course, for Caitlin in defeat and for Yim in victory, it was fantastic. Both of them definitely get some love from your boy. It was fantastic. It was a great—it was a nice little episode overall. Now we're getting into the quarterfinals. Now, I think we'll, we have—we're um, going to get the quarter—all four matches of the quarterfinals this coming Wednesday— and then we're gonna get both semifinal matches the week after this coming Wednesday. Uh, we are now in the home stretch, ladies and gentlemen, of the May Young Classic. I'm sad; it makes me upset that uh, we only have literally two episodes left of the May Young Classic before we get the Evolution uh, in two weeks' time. So that kind of sucks, but I mean, let's enjoy the rest of the tournament for what it is. And it's gonna—I'm thinking it's gonna be fantastic. Of course, you got that Ayo uh, Shirai. Deanna Purrazzo matchup. You're going to have Mia Yim there. You're going to have, I believe you're going to have uh, Sadamura there, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm wrong, correct me, let me know. Um, You're going to have, of course, Tony Tony Storm there. Tegan Knox is in the the tournament still. So we got, and I believe we got Rhea Ripley still in the tournament. So that's going to be a fun little matchup. Um, I can't wait to see what the rest of the tournament brings and what these ladies are going to be doing for the rest of this tournament. That is the Mayan Classic in a nutshell. Well, guys, that's going to be it for episode 14 of the Young Lions Perspective. I want to thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world, to check out this episode and enjoy it for what it's worth. If you enjoy this episode, of course, share it with your friends on your social media, your Instagrams your Facebooks, your Twitters, whatever you use for your social media, get this out there. Spread the word about the Young Lions perspective that we have the great opportunity to give you an alternative to what you hear on Pro Wrestling Podcast today. I am, of course, followable on Twitter at Suede Senator WWI and on Instagram at Suede underscore Senator underscore WWI. I've been thinking about doing an actual Twitter for the show itself, so that way uh, you can just go on my Twitter immediately on that particular page and to see every episode from uh, the show itself um if you do not listen to me on the anchor app and why not because it's one of the best apps out there to listen to for podcasts you can check me out at apple podcast google podcast breaker cast box overcast pocket cast radio public stitcher radio and of course that good old spotify fam just search for the young lions perspective and you should have no problem whatsoever finding it if you are on spotify search for wrestling with issues and right underneath that will be the young lions perspective uh just like i said man share that with your friends post it on your social media get that get that out there spread the word about young lions perspective um coming up of course any breaking news that may come from the world of professional wrestling I will be talking about of course uh just like the uh concerns about the u.s senators over the crown jewel event in three weeks time something like that i definitely will be talking about uh of course nxt 205 live coming up this week the may young classic we're in the quarterfinals uh, we're damn near in the home stretch of the tournament. So uh, definitely we'll be talking about that. Anything else that may come to mind, I will be discussing with you guys. Until then, guys, have a fantastic weekend. Go Penn State. Go Hawks. I'll see you guys. We'll talk soon. See you.